Dismiss our children to children's church this time. During one of our training exercises in Berlin, Germany, I injured myself. I dislocated my kneecap, and I had to leave the field and go sit back with those that were in the headquarters where the food was cooked and things like that. And in the process of of being back and unable to be out in the field with my soldiers, I I met a guy um, in our company that I had never really met before. And he was injured, and he he walked with a cane. And he was not a very good soldier at all. It wasn't because of his injury. He had a bad attitude. He talked back to those that were in authority over him. He would say he would do things and not do them. He wouldn't get up. He was just all around a a terrible, terrible soldier. And I talked to him a few times, and he was an okay guy. He was just a bad soldier. After... The field training was over, and I linked back up with my unit. I was mentioning him to some of the guys there. And one of our squad leaders had served with this guy in the original Desert Storm. 
And in Desert Storm, this guy had been a hero. He had been awarded all kinds of awards for valor, for consistency. He, he said he was one of the best soldiers that he had ever, ever had. The guy was actually in his squad. And during one of the, the missions, a, a combat door on a mechanized vehicle had been dropped quickly and he was underneath it and it had injured him severely. And he probably should have died, but he didn't. But when he recovered, he wasn't the same soldier anymore. And I thought it was interesting because prior to his injury, I mean, there was a real defining point that changed. He was an, an excellent soldier. He had commendations and awards and, and everybody spoke highly of him. But after, he was a terrible soldier. And when he got out of the army, nobody was going to remember the hero. Nobody was going to remember the guy who would run and do what he could to save his buddies. What they were going to remember was the terrible soldier that wouldn't do his job. They were going to remember the guy that wouldn't do what he had said he would do. Who talked back. I thought he, he started well. That's not how he finished. Finished poorly. You know, you think about it. That can happen to any of us in any area of life. You know, the Bible is filled with examples. People who started well for the Lord, they didn't finish well. Think of King Saul. King Saul actually started really good. He, he was humble. He didn't want to be king. When he first became king, he was dependent upon the Lord. He was kind and he was gracious. He was strong and courageous. But by the end of his life, he was having the priests of God murdered. And he had been basically turned his back fully on God. He started well, but he didn't finish well. And I think that's a, a danger that any of us could have. You know, the Christian life, it, it isn't about a few weeks or a few months or even a few years of faithfulness and doing what's right. It is about a, a lifetime of consistency. It is about starting right, staying right, and finishing right. So that we can hear at the end of our lives, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. For the last few weeks we've been looking at various stories about the Apostle Paul and, and things in his life that he did that, that shaped him and turned him into who he was. And Paul is, is one of the few people that we find in Scripture that, that started well and he finished well. And as we look at this final passage, Paul's last letter, we can learn what we can do so that we can finish well also. So turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I believe it's on page 915 in the Pew Bibles. When you find that, I'd ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. The title of the message this morning is Finishing Well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today and we praise you for your grace and your goodness. We praise you for all that you've given us and done for us in our life and the opportunity we have to gather and to study your word. We ask you, God, to open our hearts to receive it. Help us, Lord, to be hearers and doers of your word today. Help our hearts to be the tender ground that the seed of the word could sink deep in and bring forth good fruit in our lives. Help us, God, to, to not be content to start well, but, Lord, to have a great desire to finish well. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I can speak your words and your ways for your glory. Guide all of us, God, and challenge us where we need it. Strengthen us where we need it. Encourage us where we need it. And convict us where we need it. We need you to work in us. We need you to help us, God. Help us to leave here today different because of your work in our lives. And as we go throughout the rest of this week, let us be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of 2 Timothy is the last known writing of the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to his son in the faith, a young man named Timothy. It's almost like his final will and testament. Paul at this time is in a Roman prison. He is unsure of his fate. But as you read the letter, he seems pretty certain what's going to happen. Seems pretty certain that he is not going to to get out of the prison cell alive. And from all that we know, he is correct. The Apostle Paul will die not long after writing this letter. And when you read the whole letter, one of the things that you see in Paul's last will and testament to his friend is that Paul is living and dying without regrets. Paul's last letter is not filled with if-onlys. You know what the if-onlys are, right? It's, if only I had done this instead of that. If if only I had served Jesus longer. If if only I had told Fred about the gospel. If, If only I had kept going instead of giving up. If only. The Apostle Paul did not have if onlys. Paul's time is at hand. Paul is Ready to go. Paul has lived well. So Paul is going to finish well. We see this in verse 7. He says, I have, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul did those things. He lived well. And that enabled him to finish well. And, and there's no secret to finishing well. There's no magic key. There's very simply basic things. I must live well if I want to finish well. I must live well if I want to finish well. And Paul tells us what he did to live well that allowed him to finish well and what we must also do. First, fight the good fight. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. That's what he did. You know, the Christian life, one of the the metaphors used for the Christian life is that of a, of a war, of a battle. We are to fight the good fight of faith. And it's easy to think, well, the idea of fighting the good fight of faith and using spiritual warfare as an idea of Christianity is it's a little harsh, it's a little scary. But that's a reality. We are in a spiritual battle. 
It's not a battle with flesh and blood, the Bible tells us, but with, with powerful spiritual enemies. Right, that are always active and in the world, and they seek our hurt, our death, and our destruction. And the truth is, each and every one of us this morning, in this room, we are involved in the battle, whether we want to be involved in it or not. We're involved in the battle whether we're fighting the battle or not. There is nowhere we can go to be Switzerland and get out of it. There is no back lines we can go to so that we're not fighting the fight. We are in the midst of it, no matter what. And if we want to live well so that we can finish well, we have to know this and we have to keep fighting the good fight. We have to keep pressing on and and fighting against all the things that the Bible tells us to. Against our sinful nature. Against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to, to fight to do what's right. And the thing about fighting is it's hard. It's difficult. You know, you watch war movies, you don't think it looks that bad. But I learned when I took martial arts, and, and when we did hand-to-hand combat training, and when we did, re- and when we did tra- uh, training for combat, it is, it is hard to go like that for long periods of time. It doesn't matter who you are. At some point, you are going to be stressed beyond your abilities. To keep going. You're going to be stressed beyond your natural inclination to keep going. And see, the key to to fighting the good fight, as much as it is to just determine I'm going to fight, it is to know where to get our strength from. Because winning the battle, fighting the fight, staying in the fight, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. We need a strength that comes from beyond us. And that's what the Bible tells us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of His might. And there's three words used for strength. Strong, power, and might. Obviously, the focus there is on a strength. It is on being empowered, on having the might to do battle. The key thrust is not that the power is ours. The power that comes from God. See, it's not enough to be strong in ourselves. We have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might if we want to fight the good fight of faith. All through Scripture, we're told that God is all-powerful and He can do anything and no one can stop Him. He has all the power in the world and He makes that available to His people. He always helps us. He gives us the strength that we need to keep on fighting. He, he enables us to do all things through Christ. Right? It, is, it is possible that each and every one of us can start the good fight of faith, stay in the good fight of faith, and finish the good fight of faith, and never give up, and never fall back, and never run away. It is possible if we depend on the Lord's strength. If we trust in Him and we seek Him For our power and our might and our strength. And the key to having all of that, it is a close relationship with Jesus. I mean, everything in the Christian life rises and falls on our connection to Jesus. 
If we had time this morning, we would go to John chapter 15, where Jesus teaches about the vine and the branches. And one of the things that he says there is that I am the vine and you are the branches and that through me, you without me, you can't do anything. Right? Without Jesus, we cannot do what needs to be done. There is no strength to fight the good fight of faith apart from Christ. So we have to keep that that connection to him close. We have to make our relationship with him a priority. Right? And again, a relationship with Jesus, it's not... It's not a secret on how to do it. It's not difficult. In all honesty, there are just basic things that you do. And you just do them over, over again. You make prayer a priority in your life. You pray. You talk to Him. You study your Bible. You let Him talk to you. You take part in the organization that he died to establish. But you, you strive to do the things that he would want you to do. And if we do those things, we will have a close relationship to Jesus. Someone told me something once that, that gave me pause and I had to think about it for a while. But what he said was, you're as close to Jesus as you want to be. And that was in, in the conversation. I was telling him, I wish I was closer to Jesus. I, I wish my relationship was better. And he told me, you're as close as you want to be. And I said, no, that's not true. I really want to be close. He said, well, do you pray? I mean, do you have a regular time where you pray? Well, no, not really. I pray some, but not a lot. Okay. Do you regularly read your Bible and study it? No, I read occasionally, but no, not regularly. Are you faithful to church? Well, I go, you know, occasionally. I go some Sunday mornings and every so often I'll go on, a, on an in, evening service. Are you serving the Lord? Well, you know, it's not like I'm killing people or sinning or doing big things like that. He said, you're not close to Jesus because you don't want to be close to Jesus. Because if you did, you would do those things that develop your relationship with Jesus. We are as close to Jesus as we want to be. And if we want the strength to fight the good fight of faith, to be able to live well, to finish well, we need that strength. And that strength only comes through Jesus. It only comes through our connection and our relationship with Him. And if I want to live well, to finish well, I must make my relationship with Jesus a priority in my life and do those things that build and strengthen that, that relationship. Secondly, I need to run my race. Paul says that he has finished the race. Another metaphor used for the Christian life is that of a race, just running a race. Now, we think about the race of the Christian life, important truth to know is the Christian life is not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not quick, fast, and over. It is long and requires endurance. It requires us to keep going 
for long periods of time. Paul had finished his race. He had run it to the very end. And what I like about this is that this was something Paul desired early in his ministry. Now, none of these things, let me just kind of clarify what that was saying. Paul had been told that going to Jerusalem would result in hardships for him. Suffering and punishment awaited him if he went to Jerusalem. His response, I don't care. None of those things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, the ministry which I received of the Lord, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I don't care if it's hard, and I don't care if I suffer. All that matters to me is that I finish my race. I live well so that I can finish well. In the race of the Christian life, it is, I like, because Paul doesn't say, I won the race. Paul just says, I finished. You know, there's significant accomplishment just in finishing something, isn't there? I think about like a marathon. I would never run a marathon, and I question the sanity of people that choose to do that for fun. Right? But people do that. And I, I would imagine just completing a 20, what, 26 mile run. That's a huge thing, right? I would love to know how many people start the Boston Marathon versus how many people finish the Boston Marathon. How many people drop out along the way? It gets too hard and so they quit. And and even beyond that, I wonder if you could interview some of the ones that quit and say, if you could go back to that moment when you gave up and keep running and just finish, what would you do? I wonder how many of them would say, if I could go back and do it over, I'd stay in the race. I'd run till I finish. And the Christian life is it's that sort of a marathon. It's, it's difficult. It requires endurance. And the Bible tells us what we need so that we can endure. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 11, Hall of Fame, faith. All of these people lived by faith, accomplished God's will. Now, because of them, run the race that God has set before you. Run with endurance, right? The idea of endurance is that you have to run beyond the point of wanting to quit. You can't just run while it's easy. You can't just run while it's fun. You have to run and keep on running even when it's difficult. The idea of run the race that God has set before you, I mean, is what we're talking about. It's like living well. Right? If you want to finish the race, then you live well. Live well to finish well, is what he's saying. And he tells us the way that we have to do this. He said that, that in order to run with endurance, the race that is set before us, in order to live well, we have to, to lay aside some things. We have to lay aside sin. Sin is always a hindrance to everything in our spiritual life. I cannot live a sinful life and live well for Jesus at the same time. I cannot live a sinful life and expect to finish well. My sin is always a hindrance. My sin is always a hurt. It is always detrimental. We, we must understand that. Do not, do not believe the lies and the false teachings and all of the junk that goes around that says, you know, 
God, the Bible standard of morality is outdated and unreliable and is not necessary. My friend, this is the standard of morality that God has revealed. We must lay aside the sin in our life if we want to finish the race that God has set before us. We cannot live in what the Bible condemns. Live well at the same time. But not only must we lay aside the sin, he says we must lay aside the weights. And, and sin is really not nearly as difficult to lay aside as weights are. Here's why. What's a sin for you is a sin for me. The Bible says thou shalt not. It's a sin for everybody. Nobody gets to say, well, I don't really feel convicted by that. Doesn't matter. That's the same for everybody. But a weight. A weight is something that is not necessarily a sin. But it slows you down in running the race that God has set before you. It, It hinders you from living well. And the problem with weights, the difficulty with weights, is that what slows you down may not slow me down. And what slows me down, it may not slow you down. So if I want to lay aside the weights, I have to be willing to give up something I want to do while Scott gets to continue to do it. Wrong for me to continue, okay for him. (laughs) That's hard. That is a, a difficult thing to do. It takes a great deal of maturity, spiritual maturity to say, I want to live well so that I can finish well. And so I'm taking this thing that's non-sinful that I like and I'm setting it aside because right now it slows me down. Right now it hinders my relationship with Christ. Right now it keeps me from living well to finish well. It takes a great desire. I mean, in order to do this, I have to really want to live well. I have to really want to finish well in order to lay something aside that I I want to do. It's not inherently sinful because it's slowing me down and it's keeping me from running the race that God has set before me. But if we want to live well and finish well, this is what we all have to do. We have to examine our lives for sin. We have to say, this has to go. But then we have to let the Holy Spirit be the authority in our lives and say, this isn't necessarily sinful, but I think it's slowing you down right now. I think it's time for you to let this go right now. And then we have to be willing to do that. And I thought about, I was thinking about that. You know what I realized is, we're going to let some things go either way. Did you ever think about that? Let's say I want to live well and finish well. And there's sin in my life and there's a weight in my life. And God says, deal with the sin, deal with the weight. If I want to live well and finish well, to run my race, I'm going to have to let those things go, aren't I? I mean, I just have to. I cannot live well without being disobedient to the Lord. So I have to let those things go. And I let those go so that I can finish the race, so that I can run with endurance. But I don't have to let those things go. I mean, it is my choice to choose to hold on to my sin, to choose to hold on to my weight. But in doing that, I'm still letting go of something, aren't I? I'm letting go of the possibility of finishing well. I'm letting go of the possibility of living well so that I can finish well. You see, I cannot hold on to the weights and sins while living well to finish well. I am going to let go of something. Either way, 
I'm either going to let go of my sin and my weights to live well and finish well, or I'm going to let go of the opportunity to live well and finish well to hold on to my sins and my weights. The choice is mine. We all make this choice in one way or another. The question is, which one are we choosing? If we want to live well and finish well, we have to lay aside the sin. We have to lay aside the weights that hinder us. There is no other option. So we want to live well, to finish well. We fight the good fight of faith. We, we run my race. And let me say on this run my race, along with the idea of my weights, is that my race is my race. Right? The way I have to run is not necessarily the way you have to run. We don't all follow the same path. We don't all follow the same track. What that means is I can't look at you to determine whether or not I'm running my race well. I cannot look at you and say, well, I'm doing more than them. Therefore, I'm living well and I'll finish well. That's not the way it works. It is my race between me and my God. I must live well in the way that he wants me to so I can finish well and hear well done, good and faithful servant. Finally, we have to be faithful no matter what. Paul said that he had kept the faith. Keeping the faith, as Paul meant it there, really isn't so much about he, he continued to believe in Jesus as much as it is that he continued to be faithful. Paul continued to do the things that he knew he was supposed to do. You know, a faithful person is someone you can depend upon. A faithful person keeps their word. A faithful person is someone that if they say they're going to do it, they will do it. If it's to the dead, less, dead, dead level best of their abilities, they will try to get it done. You can depend upon them. Paul was faithful. He had many responsibilities. To the best of his abilities, he kept them all. Faithfulness is one of the key characteristics of God. It is his faithfulness that gives us hope. I mean, that is one of the truths in First John 1, 9. Right? That when we sin, if we confess our sin, he is, what, faithful to forgive us. God has said he will always forgive us when we confess our sin. He is faithful to do that. 100%, 100% of the time. That's a hope that we have, right? We, we depend upon that. God expects us to reflect His character and His nature. He expects us to be faithful as well. And the Bible has so many ways that I think we are to be faithful in. But let me just give you a few because we don't have time to go over all of them. Be faithful to my spouse. One of the main ways that we are to be faithful is to the person we have pledged our lives to live with. Hebrews says, Marriage is honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Listen, I cannot be faithful to God while being unfaithful to my spouse. It requires me to be faithful to both. I must be faithful as a parent. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. She'll teach them diligently to your children. She'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. She'll bind them on the sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. She'll write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents are to be the primary Bible instructors for their children. What our kids get at church or at the Christian school or in Sunday school or in children's church is meant to reinforce what they're being taught at home. Parents... We have a God-given responsibility to 
train them up in the way that they should go. To teach them God's will and God's ways and God's laws and hold them accountable when they fail. That is our job. And I cannot be faithful to God while being unfaithful as a parent. I need to be faithful to church. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised us faithful, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. The world around us does not want us to live well, to finish well. The world around us is not merely neutral and they don't care if we try to live well or finish well. The world around us actively fights against our living well so that we can finish well. And on our own, the world around us will overcome us. We always need the church. Always. I mean, notice what he says. We hold fast the confession of our faith because God is faithful And consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Right. If in order to hold fast the confession, let's live well. Right. It's not just talk about that. I believe I claim I believe in Jesus, but I live like the devil. That's not what that means. It means I say I believe in Jesus and I live like I believe in Jesus. And in order to to have that hope and to keep it on, I need people to help and encourage me along the way. I need someone who will encourage me when I'm down, who will challenge me when I'm wrong. And the assembling of the saints together was brought together just for that reason. The church was Jesus' idea. He died to establish the church. He is the the groom for the church. The church is His bride. It was His blood that was shed for the church. I cannot be unfaithful to the church and be faithful to Jesus at the same time. It is very common in our day for people to say, I like Jesus, but not the church. Considering the church is the bride of Christ, let me ask those that are married. Someone comes to you and said, Alan, I love you, but I can't stand destiny. I mean, I just hate her. Are me and you going to be good friends? No. No, that's, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? Now, Melissa, I really like you, but Scott gets on my everlasting nerves. Well, that's not, we're probably not going to be good friends after that, right? So, Jesus, I love you, but I hate the organization you established. I hate the bride that you love. I hate the people that you bled to save. I, I don't want any part of them, but Jesus, I want you. No, it does not work that way. We need the church and we need Jesus. And I cannot hate one and love the other. It just doesn't work that way. If I want to be faithful to Jesus, I need to be faithful to his church. I also need to be faithful with my spiritual gifts. Each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with all the ability with which God supplies. All things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Each has received a gift. That is a spiritual gift that we receive when we were saved. We are to use it as stewards. The idea of a steward, someone who uses that which belongs to another. But the steward is not the owner. The steward is like the manager. Someone else owns it, but they manage it for the purposes the owner has given them. The, the Walmart store manager can't just do anything that he wants to do. There is a, a corporation that owns that store. And he has a lot of leeway, but in the end he is accountable to them to do what they want done in the way that they want it done. And at any moment, they can walk in that store and they can relieve him of his duties if they believe he is unfaithful in his job as a steward or as a manager. We have been given... Spiritual gifts by Jesus Christ to be used for Jesus Christ to help people come to know Jesus Christ. And they are not ours to use as we see fit. They are not ours to hide in a dig a hole and put them under. They are ours to use the purpose and the way that he has determined that we should, knowing that we are accountable to him for what we do, and how we do it. I cannot, I cannot be faithful to Jesus being unfaithful to the gifts that He has given me. I listened to a sermon this week and the guy said, we are, we are saved to serve. We are not saved to sit. We are not saved to sulk. And we are not saved to separate. We are saved to serve. That is for each and every one of us. We must be faithful with the spiritual gifts that Jesus has given us. And then be faithful with my finances. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruit of your increase. Now, this one may seem out of place at first. Right? Because we've talked about, obviously, marriage is huge in Scripture. Parenting is, is huge. And the church and gifts. I mean, all of that really fits with finishing our race, living well. But... But money, that's personal. That's where you get into meddling and people start getting uncomfortable. So why would I need to be faithful with my finances? Why is that such a big deal? It's because of what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Probably the number one way to tell where our treasure is is to see where we spend our money. If you've been in church long, you've heard of preachers talk about the three T's, right? That we're to steward for God. Our time, our talents, and our treasures. And really, if you want to see what matters to you in your life, you look at what you spend your time on. You look at what you invest your life in. And you look what you invest your money in. And almost without fail, if you look at those, you will find it will point out a few things. And those few things will show what is most important in your life. It will show whether your treasure is in heaven or whether your treasure is on earth. So being faithful with our finances, it's not a matter of just tithe more. That's not it. I mean, in all honesty, tithing is the, the least what the Bible says about our money and what it means to be faithful with it. Being faithful with our finances is to understand that 
we don't give God 10% and the 90% is ours. It's that 100% is God's and we do what He wants us to do with it. That we use it in the way He wants us to use it. We give to the causes He wants us to give to. We, we don't let it have a hold on us. We have an open hand to help, to heal, to further the kingdom of God. Being faithful with our finances is a good indicator of our heart. And the reality is, I cannot be faithful to Jesus and unfaithful in my finances. And the reason is because what I'm doing with my finances reveals what's in my heart. And if I am not faithful with my finances, in all honesty, I am not faithful to Jesus. Because He is not my treasure. Something else is. We look at these things. Fight the good fight. Run the race. Keep the faith. Be faithful. If there is a key to understanding this, it is that these are long-term things. It is not we fight today and tomorrow we rest. It is not that we run today and tomorrow we're through. It's not that we're faithful today and tomorrow we do what we want. In order to live well, I must do these things constantly, consistently in my life. I fight and I keep fighting until Jesus calls me home. I run and I keep running until Jesus calls me home. I be faithful and I keep being faithful until Jesus calls me home. These are things that we must do over and over and over again. As long as we are on this earth, we are meant to live well by doing these things time and time again. And if we live well, then we can finish well. We can be like Paul. And I love what he says in this. In verse 6, he says, For I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Now, the word departure is interesting because it, it meant it was used in, in a few different ways. Farmers used it when they released an animal, a plow or a cart. Soldiers used it when after a time in the field, they pulled up their tent stakes and they headed home. Sailors used it when they were untying their ship from the docks and going in to deep water. Now, those are three great images. Right? The animals being loosed from its burden. The soldiers are going home. The ship is setting out to do what it was meant to do. This was what Paul felt about his departure. Right? And I like how William Barclay explained it. He said, so for Christians, death is the laying down of shackles in order to be free. It's the dismantling of a temporary campsite in order to take up residence in the heavenly places. It's casting off ropes which bind us to this world in order to set sail on the voyage which ends in the presence of God. Who then shall fear it? In verse 8, Paul fully expected to be well received. It's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Paul expected to hear, well done. Good and faithful servant. And what I like from this 
is that we can know. You know, I remember being told one time I told somebody I was going to heaven. and He said, that sounds awful arrogant. How can you say for sure that you know you're going to heaven? Well, the Bible says I can know for sure that I'm going to heaven. But just as the Bible says for sure I can know I'm going to heaven, I can know whether or not I'll hear well done, good and faithful servant. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to worry. I can live well. Finish well. And then I can say there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I will be greeted by my Savior with well done. Good and faithful servant. Because this crown was not just for Paul, but for all. Who looked forward to Jesus' return. Who, who live well. Let me ask you something. Are you living well today? So that you can finish well. That day. Let me ask it another way. If you did not change one thing in your life from the way you lived up until today, if you came to church, if you lived exactly that way until your end came, would you have lived well? And would you be finishing well? Would you fully expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? If you're not sure, Or if you know that you haven't, what are you going to do about it? Are you content to wonder? Are you content to just hope it will all work out in the end? Or do you really want to live well, finish well, so that Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So at the end of your life, you can say, Time of my departure is at hand, but I'm not afraid. I'm looking forward because I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. Are you content? Unsurety. Are you willing to do what it takes to live well? So that you can finish well. In the end, that, that decision is yours. You know, God, I believe, I can say with confidence that if you're not living well, God has revealed it to you. I just know how He works. I mean, there are, if you're not, there are areas of your life He has already dealt with you about. At this point, no one, no one is uncertain. God is dealing with them about things that are wrong. God is confirming in you things that are right. The question is, how are you going to respond to what God's doing in you right now? Are you going to ignore God's conviction and God's direction in your life? Or are you going to surrender to it and seek to accomplish His will in the world? Are you going to determine to live well, to finish well? Or are you going to start good and finish poorly? And I don't want to like pile on with things. But I do want to leave this one thought with you and we'll close. If you live well, it's because you lived well. And if you do not live well, it's because you choose not to live well. It is your decision. It is on your shoulders. You must decide what you are going to do. Let's stand.